Welcome to the new chemist. We're glad you're listening. Feel free to download this podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Here on the new chemist, we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change, as well as careers, community research, and COVID-19. We're happy you're tuning in. My guest today is DJ Lewis, a colleague of mine from Georgia Tech. Thanks for joining me today. It is good to hear from you. Just briefly, I'll inform my audience about you. DJ Lewis is an accomplished technology person. He currently serves as a cloud corporate customer engineer at Google, serving in data analytics, helping enterprise customers solve business critical problems with solutions enabled by Google Cloud. He also serves as a calculus and physics tutor, a chief program officer at Humble Hustler Foundation, he also has, has served at IBM in several capacities, starting his undergraduate training at Georgia Institute of Technology, studying nuclear and radiological engineering. He also served in several capacities in extracurricular areas in the American Nuclear Society, and Naval ROTC, Alpha Phi Alpha, Georgia Tech Ambassadors, OMED Edge Mentoring Program, GT Nesby, and GTAASU. Currently, he is studying at Quantic School of Business and Technology, undertaking a MBA program, and he also assists in his community, volunteering in several capacities. An accomplished technology person, an excellent colleague of mine, and a former and a Georgia Tech alumni. Please welcome DJ. Hey DJ, thanks for joining me today. It is great to have you on. Um, I haven't seen you since we've been at Georgia Tech. But it's really good to see you. I've seen you've been very progressive. You have uh, done a lot in terms of studies, and now you're working as an engineer. So my thing, my first question to you would be, uh, what have been your longstanding interests in the field of science? Yeah, so science and I'll say technology in general really drives me, right? And the big my big interest is solving problems at the end of the day. So that intersection between science, engineering, and actual business cases is my kind of overall goal. So if we can make the world 1% better uh, each and every day, that that's what really gets me up in the morning. Okay, good. So the iterative process associated with improvement, like doing a little 1% every single day. Yeah. That's a good perspective to have. So proceeding, moving forward, um, what would you say has been a major contributor to your success as a student? Um, would you say it's your perspective on the 1% improvement every single day? What would, what would you say has contributed to your success? Major contributions, I definitely say, is my support system, my village. So it starts with my mother. She's actually a principal. So education has been just drilled down within me from a young age of give yourself, give myself opportunities to to choose. Right. Okay. So with education, that's something that we can learn. Mm -hmm. We can understand not only to get through and jump through the formal education ladder and the corporate hoops, but also just better understand our world, understand the problems we face and how we can solve them. So I'd say my village, starting with my mother, would definitely be that catalyst. I'd also say mentorship. So along the way, excuse that, 
along the way, I've really been very fortunate to network and mix and mingle with some pretty great thought leaders, some people who, you know, want to make a difference and do make a difference in society in their own unique ways. Mm -hmm. So just them telling me, okay, I'll agree to this mentorship, this relationship, but just really do one thing for me. Make sure you give back. Make sure that you um, help others along the way. So just that 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 village mentality, that communal mentality, I think has led to a lot of my success in the education realm. Okay, so that, that makes a lot of sense. You're talking about the power of community and how that has played a large role in your success. So in terms of mentors, would you say your mentors, you mentioned mentorship. So would you say that your mentors were primarily a judge tech or were you, did you find mentors along the way for each step of your journey? What would you say? Where was your like, key place where mentorship was really needed and where you found the most mentorship? Yeah, I think, me personally, I think that life is a journey, right? There's different points in time. So my time at Georgia Tech, I did find some great mentors there. But mm-hmm. at each point in my journey of, called life, I found mentorship just by... Uh, really trying to be genuine, trying to add value in each and every space I've been in. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's, it's been peers. Sometimes it's been people I look up to who are a little further along in, in the career, their career path than myself. Mm-hmm. And other times it's uh, mentees, right? So I think that for me, this open-minded perspective of any and everybody in my life can add value. True. And that has led me to take advantage um, of all of the relationships that I've been able to form. Mm-hmm. That's true. You know, cause everyone is significant. No. Yeah, it's true. Everyone has the capacity to add value. Everyone has, everyone can think for a reason. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I, that's my belief. That's my belief. Um, so uh, how have you been adaptive and creative in your field? What would you say? What spin have you added? What change have you brought? Uh, what new- <coughs> or new idea or new perspective or new strategy have you brought to your field that you could say you complimented? Mm, that's a great question. So at a high level, go ahead. Whichever level you prefer. Yeah, yeah I'll I start at a high level. I think that right now I'm a, a customer engineer, a sales engineer at Google. Mm-hmm. So I come from a non-traditional background in the sense that I studied nuclear engineering at Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. where that wasn't front of mind to be in the place that I'm at now. Mm-hmm. With that being said, um, I, I, I feel like I bring a, a fresh and new perspective from apart from some of my peers who come mm-hmm. from a more traditional computer science, IT management sort of background and mentality. Mm-hmm. So throughout my studies, I was the one looking up different energy fields, looking up you know, nuclear related news, not really looking at what is Kubernetes, what is artificial intelligence, all of these cutting edge technologies that I talk about on the daily basis now. Mm-hmm. So that's allowed me to come in fresh and without biases, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because of that, I, I think that I add value to the spaces uh, of technology. So in terms of what I've actually contributed, 
it's been progressing and closing deals and really solving business problems for different enterprises mm-hmm. throughout different industries. So I've helped um, in the telecommunications. I have a customer. They're, they're leveraging Google Cloud now. Mm-hmm. Um, they have like 500,000 agents. Um, I've helped with Verizon, for example, mm-hmm. um, just making their applications just smoother by leveraging powers of the cloud. So being able to evangelize cloud at this stage and especially mm-hmm. being so young, that has allowed me to come into different spaces mm-hmm. and, and really say, I, I believe in this X, Y, Z, and this is why, and be able to give my suggestions in this space. So that impact is shown in various ways. Oh, wow, that's good. You know, and I think, yeah, that's good. You know, continue on the same kind of thought in terms of adding value to your space. Would you say your core values and your capacity to build and improve on your crop has complemented to you being able to add value to the spaces that you have resided in? I definitely think so okay. because it's it's not straightforward how people can add value, right? I okay. feel like sometimes it can be almost like a buzz phrase these days where, yeah, I want to add value. I want to add value. Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to have a focal point in terms of, okay, these are my core responsibilities in my job role. Mm-hmm. However, um, outside of that, and we call it like a, a 20% project. So things outside of our direct scope, mm-hmm. I feel like that's where the magic happens because we get to be explorative. We get to look at things with a different lens and say, mm-hmm. oh, actually, uh, for instance, I, I help run a nonprofit on the side as well. And I, I built out a curriculum teaching young black boys how to build their own businesses from scratch. Okay. I don't have any direct or formal training in that space. However, just with the, the tools I've built over my lifetime, mm-hmm. I was able to say, okay, this is a problem. This is something, an area that I'm passionate about and that we can add, I can add value to. Why not just put something together, right? Mm-hmm. I don't need to have a degree in um, curriculum development in order to build and teach a curriculum. So um, that's just one example of you can add value in so many different ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Passion can empower you to do a lot of things. So um, you mentioned, this as a quick aside, you mentioned the term Kubernetes. I don't think I've ever heard that one before. Um, what, what were you referring to? Yeah, so Kubernetes is actually an open source project. And if you've heard of containers in the application development world, that's pretty big these days, where back in the day, 10, 15 years ago, people would build out these big, huge monolithic applications. Um, Those have its pros and cons, but these days it's preferred to break down the functions of that application, say Mm -hmm. like your Netflix, our Netflix application, right? Mm -hmm. We want to pull things up. You want to be able to sign in. You want to be able to look at your history, your shows. Mm -hmm. Instead of it all being on one monolithic application, Kubernetes and containers uh, allow you to go with this micro service architecture. So it's a new way of, not new, but relatively new in, in this sense of cloud development, cloud space, like within the past 10 years of just being more efficient and being more intentional with with each line of code that developers write. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that's 
very interesting. So, um, in terms of you finding the right environment, how did you find it to be the thrive scientifically and intellectually? Would you say you found it, and how did you find it? Yeah, my uh, my journey again is is non traditional. I thought I came to Georgia Tech on a naval ROTC scholarship, mm-hmm. so I thought I would be on a submarine right now, an officer running a sub. However, I just kept an open mind and towards my tail end in that program, four and a half years, I, I, I was looked myself in the mirror and said, this isn't the lifestyle I want, right? I don't want to be in the middle of the ocean, um, just going around, protecting our waters, right? A very core function. I love the military, but, and I, I also didn't want to be in the middle of nowhere working a power plant, a nuclear power plant, right? So those were kind of the options I saw because of my major. But looking through, looking outside of that lens and talking with some of my peers, talking with some of my fraternity brothers, um, I thought about my skill set and the lifestyle I wanted to lead. One of my older brothers, he's actually still at IBM. He mentioned, have you ever talked or thought about technical sales? I didn't even know what it was at the time. So from there, I, I, I took a calculated risk. He told me, I think you'd be great at it. You like technology. You learn quickly. You can talk to people. You love to talk to people. Just try it out. From there, I started learning about cloud. So now I, I'm supposed to be considered sort of a cloud specialist slash expert. But three years ago, I had no idea what the cloud was other than maybe storage space. Right. Cloud technology other than maybe storage space on our iPhones. Right the place where my, my pictures are, are, are stored. But now I know there's so much more. So I think the big gist there is just keeping an open mind and being authentic with myself, looking in the mirror and saying, just because I did X, Y, Z in the past, that doesn't guarantee my future, right? Mm-hmm. I get to choose, we get to choose every step of the way of what our journey and our story will look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have agency. We have agency and we have autonomy. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Yeah. So um in terms of uh keeping a balanced life, given mm. your responsibilities and accomplishments, DJ, and given the pandemic, how would you say you're keeping a balanced life? Are you keeping a balanced life? Ooh, that's a great question. I kind of view again life as more fluid. I think I have balanced moments <laughs> and yeah, I think that I, I also have unbalanced moments. Right. It's similar to a chemical reaction, right? Sometimes it's more forward favoring, sometimes yeah, it's back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just uh, tutoring. Uh, I tutor on the side as well. I was just tutoring last night some okay. chem. One of my students has a, a chem test today, so that's, that's top of my it. That's what's up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, with that being said, yeah, I like to try to be intentional, to be um my thing is is being consistent in flow, right? If you think of life as kind of like a, a sound wave of ups and downs, I want to keep my my altitudes consistent as small as possible. So instead of going, and you can't see me because we're talking about a podcast, but instead of going, you know, 10x up and 10x down, go mm. so 2x up, 2x down. So these ups and downs kind of make more of a subtle stream. With that being said, I have some key like daily tasks and actions that I like to do personally 
that keep me grounded. Okay. So for example, waking up fairly early, going to the gym, making sure I eat all my meals, making sure when I wake up, I don't go straight to my phone. Before I go to bed, I, I'll read about 30 minutes and cut off the TV. So these little micro habits mm -hmm. is what I, I try to keep on the daily basis to stay balanced. But the other side of the coin is, you know, we, we don't progress if we stay balanced, if we get too complacent, right? Mm -hmm. uh, growth and comfort don't coexist. So sometimes I will skip a meal. Sometimes I might not be able to go to the gym. Mm -hmm. And I've accepted that that's okay too, right? Mm -hmm. That that's part of the flow. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Because, you know, you bring up an interesting concept. You know, many times I've heard people, or when discussions of violence occur, there's almost this implication or this, yeah, there's an implication sometimes that violence is like this standard or like this. This perfection mm -hmm. goal type thing. Um, right. I've heard different perspectives on that. You know, I've heard different perspectives on what it means to be a healthy whole person. Um, that doesn't mean yeah. that you don't have bad days. It doesn't mean like you don't even fall apart sometimes. But the the resounding point or the thing that you want to keep constant is that you adjust, you regroup, and you move forward. And I agree. Like, and even like, we can make this even more concise and more concentrated and more specific. Like even when it comes to like, you know, this is a buzz phrase now, mental health. Um, mm. Many times, you know, I've heard, I was reading this book by um, Resilience by Frederick Flock. Um, really good. It's a really good book. I haven't finished reading it yet. So but what I've read so far, it speaks volumes. He speaks about how mental health is, can be considered, you know, from the perspective of homeostasis in that, you know, homeostasis is not a static process in the body. It's dynamic. Right. Like you have a disturbance, you adjust. And, and it's about being the capacity to adjust, the capacity to be resilient in the midst of challenges and difficulties. I think that contributes to you being a healthy whole person. That's just my perspective. I think that yeah. contributes to you being a healthy whole person, not the absence of difficulty or being um, what people would say, quote, unquote, stable all the time. I, I completely agree. Yeah. We have to take the good with the bad, the light yeah, with the bro. dark. Yeah. 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 You have to. You have to know how to throw it up every now and again, and and be calm. And, <laughs> right. Be calm and you know copious and you know and quiescent. But um, how do you maintain vision and teamwork in your environment, DJ? A vision and teamwork environment. How do I maintain, maintain those boundaries? Yeah. In your environment. Huh. I think it, it really does start with self. And, and we talked a little bit now. My mentality is very open, very team oriented mm -hmm. just to, to start. But I think it's important to consistently express that, too. Right. So that expectations management with my peers, with uh, my manager saying, hey, uh, for example, I'm OK and, and X, Y, Z, but I really could use some help in this realm. Right. And just accepting the fact that it's OK not to know. It's OK mm -hmm. not to be the smartest person in the room. Mm -hmm. And I feel like once you accept that and once you're able to communicate that. For me, at least that has uh, multiplied my opportunities or amplified my opportunities 10x. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it's allowed me to meet so many more people. It's allowed me to leverage different values and strengths of others. Mm 
so that I can focus on my core values and strengths. I can refine myself. And going back to our balance discussion, so I don't get overworked or burnt out, right? If you're great at marketing and branding, cool, perfect. You got that. I trust you enough. Having that trust is another element to execute your role, to stay in your lane. And I expect Mm -hmm. that trust, uh, vice versa, right? So I think those are some some key points, some key elements there. Yeah, yeah, dude, I agree. You know, maintaining a good environment, I'm going to throw this term out here, but you know, like in linear algebra, we learned about linear combinations, but different yeah. things have different weights, and you have different things that you're adding together. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I would say it's a linear combination of several things. You know, um, you mentioned a key point, a fact that um, understanding that it's okay to not know. Like my value yeah. as an individual, my value to the team, even though what I know and my, my, my capacity to help the team maybe tied or many times it's coupled, but my value as a person at the end of the day is not tied to what I know. It's tied to who I am. And and for me personally, it's tied to my belief system and my faith system. So and that that that's where my self concept really is rooted. So um why did you choose nuclear engineering as a field to major in at Georgia Tech? Yeah, so I'm a fairly simple-minded man, to be honest. Good to have some eh? Yeah, so I um, I wanted to go to Georgia Tech just because 17-year-old DJ, I was looking at different schools around the country. I'm originally from Maryland. Mm. I saw Georgia Tech, uh, very high ranking in terms of engineering, great location uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, you as opposed well. to... Exactly. As opposed to, you know, like the MITs and just too cold for me, Stanford, too far for me. With that being said, I knew with out-of-state tuition, I, I didn't financially have that money on hand and my, my parents didn't either. So uh, my father was in the Navy. He mentioned Naval RTC because he also did Naval RTC. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get into that program to cover uh, everything for school. So with that being said, I wanted to be the best um, within my nuclear or my naval realm, right? At at that point, I was gung-ho, like, okay, you're going to become an admiral. How do you do this? The smartest people in the Navy, quote unquote, mm-hmm. are the nuclear, the sub people, because it's so few slots, right? Oh, yeah. uh, so I was like, I know nothing about what actually propels these ships and what are our nuclear war warheads look like. Let me learn more about this field. It's interesting. Uh, I thought that energy is, is something that is a challenge, something that we're still trying to, and we'll continue to try to solve in terms of what are the best mixes of how to power our ever expanding world. Yeah. So all of those factors together, I, I said, okay, I think nuclear engineering at tech would be a good fit. Also, it just sounded cool. I was just like, oh, okay, you're a black guy, nuclear engineering. People always kind of, their eyes light up. Uh, <laughs> and soon, you know, I'm, I'm intelligent beyond my years and all that stuff. So wow, those factors play into play. Okay, dude. Yeah, dude, keep it real. I agree. I agree. Keep, it, keep it real. You know, yeah. It's interesting how, how will I take this on these journeys. Hey, you come up with an idea of what you want to do, and then as time progresses, you realize, a gift, 
and our desires coincide with something a little bit different. Exactly. And that's okay. That's okay. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. So um, do you have any advice to those pursuing the field you're currently working in? Yeah, I'd say be authentic, be genuine. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, as we've discussed throughout this this uh, this time, we can add value in different ways, right? So there's no cookie cutter pathway um, to actually get into big tech, so to speak, right? It, it's all about being a genuine person and adding value and Everyone on my team today, they come from different backgrounds. Some have been CEOs at startups. Some weren't even you know, science technology majors. However, they all see the value that technology, specifically like smart analytics, AI, cloud, can shape our world and, and help us you know, live more intentional, easier, quote unquote, lives. So... All that being said, just just be you. Yeah. Understand your strengths. Understand your weaknesses. Take that intentional time to evaluate yourself mm-hmm. and match that up with the lifestyle you want to live, right? Technology is not the end-all, be-all. We need carpenters. We need XYZ career paths. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it takes a village. So go to where your strengths are. Go to where your heart lies. Mm-hmm. You'll be good to go. Yeah, do it. Yeah, keep it humble. I think it's definitely a plus. It's always good to be humble. Yeah. Yeah, yeah do it. And so, as we conclude, what would you say is the most beneficial advice you ever received? Someone has told you. Oh. In line with the authentic self? Yeah, it, it definitely does. It's don't overthink it. Mm-hmm. Just be you. Be present. Yeah, I do. I agree. Authentic. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's good. That's simple and to the point. And just as you conclude, you know, um, you know, in my uh, uh, faith perspectives, um, you know, the capacity to be present allows you to enjoy the moment more. You know, when mm-hmm. you're not just thinking about what's the next thing, what what's what's next, or what's the next goal to set, or what's the next achievement to get. So yeah, man, I completely agree. But anyway, DJ, thanks for joining me today. It was good to have you on. Concept development for chorality and isomerism. Isomers, as defined earlier, are molecules with the same molecular formula but differ in structural arrangement, space, connectivity, or geometry around the bonding arrangement. All of those differences aforementioned define a subclass of isomers, be it structural, structural isomers, arrangement in space, stereoisomers, or connectivity constitutional isomers. Each subclass has its own significance, but in this chapter, elaborations will be done primarily on stereoisomers. Stereoisomers. Stereoisomers or spatial isomers are molecules with the same molecular formula, but differ in three-dimensional spatial arrangements. A stereoisomer has a stereogenic center, which is a location in the molecule where the interchange of two groups in space results in new stereoisomers. A subgroup of stereogenic centers is a chiral center, which typically refers to a stereogenic center with an sp3 hybridization or tetrahedral geometry.
every chiral center is a stereogenic center, but not every stereogenic center is a chiral center. Stereoisomers can be further divided into three other categories, non-tumorous, diastereomers, and atropisomers. Non-tumorous are optical isomers. These optical isomers are molecules that are non-superposable mirror images of each other. And non-tumorous typically have chiral centers. Non-tumorous are very significant in the pharmaceutical industry, with specific non-tumorous in drugs having specific effects or to that extent, no effect at all. This is seen as the classic example of thalidomide, ibuprofen, and Darvon. Where stereospecificity contributes a large role in determining therapeutic potential and therapeutic effects. Non-tumors are typically designated by the signets of absolute configuration, which are rectus, R, and sinister, S. These molecules are also designated by the relative configuration, which are dextro-rotatory D, levorotatory L. The terms dextro-rotatory and levorotatory refer to the optical rotation or how the molecules rotate light, which is left rotation, levorotatory, or right rotation dextro-rotatory. Also, the extent to which light is rotated is normally signified using specific rotation alpha. There are other applications with optical dispersion, polarimetry, circular dichroism, and other polarity phenomenons. Assigning absolute configuration. Assigning configuration in general, in terms of relative configuration, Dextro-rotatory or levorotatory must be assigned experimentally, typically by the proper application of an optical device, such as a polarimeter, to observe and measure how the molecule rotates light and to what extent or degree it rotates it. Absolute configurations. Absolute configurations can be assigned using a priority numerical labeling system called the Khan Inglold Prelog Priority Rules. These rules give priority based on atomic mass. Larger atoms have the highest, the highest priority, one, and the smallest or least weighing atoms have the least priority, typically hydrogen in many molecules. For example, one bromo, one chloropropane, the priorities donated, don't, denoted as seen below show a scene below or seen in many texts. Diastereomers. This is a subclass of optical isomers, also known as geometric isomers. Diastereomers are isomers with the same molecular formula, but different arrangement in space that results in non-identical mirror images. These typically can be identified by first assignment of the absolute configuration of the stereogenic center, then comparison of the mirror images to determine whether they are identical or not. Keep in mind, non-tumors are non-superposable mirror images, whereas diastereomers are non-identical mirror images. These steps listed previously are suggested in a suggested order in terms of assignment. 
cell classes of diastereomers are cis-strand isomers and conformers, which can be further divided into rhodomers. EZ isomerism and cis-trans isomerism. As dextrorotatory and levorotatory is relative assignment for stereochemistry, so is cis and trans. Cis and trans isomerism allows for the denoting of the spatial arrangements based on like groups, for example, trans 1,2-dichloroethene or cis 1,2-dichloroethene. This relative system, cis or trans, can become obscure very quickly so to provide a more meticulous system, the Kahn and Gold pre-log priority rules are used to label the substituents on the double bond using the easy entagen or opposite slash zusamen or same side. This system aforementioned provides more cardiostereochemistry. As stated earlier, the Kahn and Gold pre-log priority rules give the highest priority one to the largest substituent or the substituent with the greatest atomic mass. And the following substituents are labeled with the numbers two, three, four based on the masses. Conformers and rhodomers. A conformer is an arrangement or conformation of a molecule based on rotation of single bonds that resulted in a potential energy minimum. A classic example of a conformer is with cyclohexane, in which you have the chair, the half chair, the twist boat, the boat, the twist boat, the half chair, and the chair. All of those are different conformers. A rhodomer is just a conformation of a molecule that results from another rotation of the molecule single bonds. You see this example in terms of gauche, eclipse, and anti with butane. The Newman projections are good at showing these different rhodomers. Anomers, an isomer formed due to a geometric variation found at certain atoms in specific molecules. Anomers are typically seen and described in carbohydrates that the designation of alpha or beta is used. Epimer, an epimer normally found in diastereomeric pairs is a stereoisomer that differs in configuration at any point in the molecule by changing the position of the two substituents results in the formation of a new stereoisomer. Basically, an epimer is an isomer that differs in configuration at any stereogenic center. The Lebel-Vanthoff rule, if there are n stereogenic centers with four different substituents attached, there are two to the n different stereoisomers possible. This is the end of concept development four. Thanks for listening. We're glad you were able to tune into this podcast. Once again, this is The New Chemist, where we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change, as well as the other sciences, careers, community, research, and COVID-19. Thanks again for listening. Note, the views on this podcast represent those of my guests and I.